listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. You can enjoy more messages like this and more with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. To invite Michael to speak to your group, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. Hold on to your seat and open your heart as Mike teaches us from God's Word. Good morning, everybody. And can we give a big shout out to our live stream audience, which has just joined us? Can we give them a big grace welcome? Today is an exciting day as we kick off together without any kind of limitations by where we are geographically, a real simultaneous nationwide event that begins today, the National Week of Repentance. And God has really done it, everybody. God has really done it. This has exceeded our wildest expectations. We now have confirmation of people participating in all 50 states of the United States of America. Plus Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico. Hola, Puerto Rico. Que Dios te bendiga. We also have participants, this is amazing, in Canada, Switzerland, Germany, the United Kingdom, China, Pakistan, and the Solomon Islands. How about that? So God, as he always does, has exceeded our wildest expectations. He always does above and beyond exceedingly what we can dream or imagine. People have been emailing. We're getting literally dozens of people signing up every hour. They're still doing it, still signing up. You know, a lot of us uh, are latecomers to God's agenda, and that's true no matter where we live in any part of the world, and it's exciting to see that people are still signing up. This is an example of one of the emails that we just got recently to show you where people's hearts are for such a time as this. This is from Betsy, writes in. I don't know where Betsy's from, but here's what she says. Dear friends, thank you for organizing the week of repentance. I'm praying that as each of us humbles ourselves and seeks God's correction and direction, there will be a renewal of vitality in our lives, our church, and our nation. This woman gets it. In order to participate, I'm trying to get up an hour early, 5 a.m. Eastern time, I'm guessing there are others, too, who will set aside an early morning time for their quiet time this week. Would it be possible to send out each day's email super early, like 4.30 a.m.? The answer is no, we're not doing that, because I'm not getting up that early. Just kidding. Betsy and anybody else who is getting it, that this is not about an event, it's about moving with God, we will do that. We will release what the videos or the, uh, the emails that we're releasing each day nice and early so that we can be on the same page. And make sure that you don't miss the live streams that we're doing at 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and 9 o'clock again in the evening all throughout this week, Monday through Friday. Now, the election is coming up next week, and there's a possibility that people could make the mistake and think that the National Week of Repentance is to cajole things and to move or manipulate things to get a certain particular political candidate elected to the office. Nothing could be further from the truth. The nation of Israel made this significant mistake many years ago by thinking that they needed a human king, and it grieved the heart of God because God was the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he lovingly rebuked them, and Israel paid the price. I'm not so sure that many of us within the body of Christ haven't made the same mistake. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I think many of us have put our hope in a mere mortal, thinking that a mere mortal is going to come and ride in on a white horse and save America. 
you know, the way to make America great again and the way to be stronger together as a nation is if we return to the living and true God, and that needs to happen within the church, within the body of Christ. Over here, I've got a few things here that are very handy, especially in the United States of America, very handy in the United States of America when you get a scrape or a boo-boo. We have small bandages, adhesive pads, some gauze tape, which comes in handy, other types of gauze pads, hydrogen peroxide, which is good for certain wounds, but not necessarily. Some of you are nodding your heads and saying, yeah, uh, that's my, that's my go-to when I get a boo-boo or somebody in my family gets a boo-boo. And then the Trinity for difficulties that we have, triple antibiotic ointment. That's always a good one. And then the good old little Band-Aid, which is still a timeless way to keep the nasties out of a wound. You know, It'd be very possible for us, if we're not careful, to think that it's possible to put a political Band-Aid on a spiritual problem, to put a political Band-Aid on a spiritual wound. And nothing could be more dangerous or disastrous or more of an exercise in futility than if at this particular time in the United States of America, we made the fundamental mistake of thinking that a political solution can be provided to America's problems. We are in the midst of a serious meltdown as a nation, and I'm not exaggerating that when I say that. We're in the midst of a perfect storm of moral decline, racial division. Our nation is more divided racially than at any other time in history, perhaps since the Civil War. And no matter which candidate is elected as the next president of the United States, the truth is that the next president will face unprecedented problems in the United States of America. The truth of the matter is that no matter who is elected the next president, our problems in the United States of America are significant, and we need God more than anybody else and at any other time in history to come and intervene. Absolutely necessary. And so one of the things that makes the National Week of Repentance unprecedented, this really is historic, is to my knowledge, this is the first time in America's history that all 50 states and Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico will be participating real time, regardless of where people live geographically. Nobody has to get on a plane or get into a car to participate. It's the first time that people in all 50 states, listen to this, the entire nation coming together to seek God and to begin to humble ourselves and to repent. This makes it absolutely significant. That's why these action guides, that if you have not gotten it yet at revivalmatters.com, you need to do that. I'm saying that unapologetically because the action guide is what's going to help you and me and anybody who wants to participate in the National Week of Repentance participate real time, in unison, to go through the same passages of Scripture on the same days, look at the same reflective questions, and it is an opportunity for us to do what the Bible says God's people must do when God's people find themselves up against a wall. And the truth of the matter is that the church, the body of Christ, we are finding ourselves increasingly so with our backs up against the wall. And so we have to understand that there is a way for us to discover and to return to God's remedy, God's prescription for healing. What does a nation do when they find themselves in need of healing? What does a nation do when they find themselves in need for healing? Turn with me to Second Chronicles 
chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. We're just going to look at verse 13 and 14. Then we're going to look at the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2. And we're going to look at God's prescription for healing. God's prescription for healing. Now, before we go any further, let me help you understand that this message is not for somebody else that needs to hear it. This is not a message for other people in the United States of America. This is primarily, first and foremost, a message for you if you say that you are a Christ follower. This is a message for the body of Christ. True change does not begin in the White House, even though it would be wonderful to have good, godly change in the White House. True change begins in God's house among God's people. And I'm afraid that we've farmed out real hope and change to mere mortals when real hope and change comes from the immortal one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, Jesus Christ. Second Chronicles chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, the nation of Israel is in a situation where Solomon, their king, living in this theocracy, rule and reign of God on the earth. That's what the nation of Israel was at this particular time. Not like the way it is today. It's not a theocracy today the way it was here in Solomon's day. The temple had been dedicated, and now Almighty God appears to Solomon on the heels of this high point in Israel's history. Here's what he says that he is God. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is an if-then Statement. Now, before you shut me out, before you disconnect on the live stream and think, well, that was a promise given to the nation of Israel. The United States of America is not the nation of Israel. It doesn't apply. There's not a one-to-one -one correlation. I would say to you, you are absolutely correct. The United States of America is far from a theocracy. In fact, a case could be made that we are as a nation having started off on the right path, marching down the wrong path, putting our pedal to the metal, and accelerating our decline morally, theologically, as we turn away from God, thinking that we've been there and done that. Very important for us to understand that even though the United States is not the nation of Israel, there is something that never changes, and it's not a thing. He is a person, and his name is God. Amen. In the book of Hebrews chapter 13, turn with me if you have your Bible. Hebrews chapter 13, in verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Now, some people make the cardinal mistake. They think that that means that the same things that God has done in the past, we should expect God to do in the present and that's not what that verse actually teaches. It's talking about the nature and the character of a person, Jesus. See, if we believed that God always functioned the same way, then why don't we have a temple right now? Why don't we have Old Testament sacrifices? You don't have to travel very far or study the Bible for very long or look at world events or look at the church for very long 
to understand that Hebrews chapter 13, verse eight is not about God always doing things the same way. That's not what it's about at all. Clearly, clearly God functions in different ways throughout history. But one of the things we have to understand is the unchanging nature of God, that he is humble, that he is holy, that he is love, and that there are certain things that are timeless that he always looks for in the lives of his children, whether you are an Israelite, whether you are a Jew, or whether you are as Greek as Greek salad, and you don't have any Jewish blood in you whatsoever. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever, who never changes, then you and I need to understand, we need to understand there are some unchanging things that God looks for because God never changes. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, help us understand that there are times in life where God's people become the problem. There are times in life when God's people become the problem. And then, in response to that, God becomes the bigger problem. And when God's people become the problem, forcing God to become the bigger problem, then God's people must recognize that they must be the solution so that God can be the greater solution and the ultimate solution. And this is exactly what we find in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, because God himself is invading Solomon's space and warning him of a situation that will be on the horizon in the nation of Israel. And in fact, Israel found themselves in those shoes many, many times. And I'm not so sure that God has not been speaking to the United States of America in particular, lest you start flying at a high altitude and miss the details. I'm not so sure that God hasn't been speaking to the church, to those of us who say we're followers of Jesus Christ. Because if we don't get it in the church, then how can we expect other people to get it as well? Earlier this year, I was in the great nation of Texas. Many people in Texas tempted to become a great nation. And I was there with a variety of Christian leaders who were there to discuss and to pray about the condition of the United States of America because they were concerned as anybody who's watching the news and reading their Bible and praying will be concerned. It's true that the United States of America was never, quote-unquote, a completely Christian nation. But it's also true that the United States of America was built on Judeo-Christian values, whether those founding fathers who rejected Christianity wanted to recognize it or not, they did recognize the value behind Judeo-Christian values because all truth is God's truth. And other founding fathers and mothers were devout, godly Christians. And you might say, but some of them had slaves. That's right. And you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I can guarantee it. You've got blind sides in your walk with Jesus too. It's called sanctification, that as you walk with God, God, through his word, through the Holy Spirit, will convict you of an area or areas of your life that's out of whack out of character with the nature and the character of Jesus Christ. That's the life of a disciple, so get over it. If you're looking for perfection, there was nobody who ever was perfect to walk the face of the earth. We are all, 
every single one of us recovering hypocrites and recovering sinners. Can I get an amen for that? Any and every time God has moved in the course of history, he used imperfect people with blind sides just like you and just like me. And by the way, there are a lot of people who say God doesn't move the same way. One of the ways that God does continue to move the same way, in Numbers chapter 22, he spoke through a donkey, Balaam's donkey. And right now, perhaps God is repeating that feat by speaking through a modern-day donkey as we address these issues. The vessel is never the importance in the message of God. What is important is the one who is delivering the message, Almighty God. When I was in Texas with these key leaders, these Christian leaders discussing what was happening in the nation and what might be about to happen in the nation and how if we continue to go down the path we're going, it's not good. Someone quoted Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, the verses that we're looking at right here. And then someone made an appeal that we need to pray for the United States of America, and we did. And it's good to do that. But the problem was, and the problem is, that if we as Christian leaders, if we as Christians don't rightly divide the word of truth, then who's going to rightly divide it? Because Second Chronicles 7, 13, and 14 is not a passage about intercession. That's not what it's about. The word doesn't even appear. Second Chronicles 7, 13, and 14 is a passage where it explains what God's people who have become the problem do and what they are to do when God becomes the bigger problem because they're a problem so that God's people can become the solution and allow God to be the greater solution. And it all comes down to a word. It all comes down to something that the people of Israel needed to do and something that is timeless and unchanging in terms of the nature and character of God that we as God's people need to do that we have not yet tried in the United States of America. We are trying all kinds of remedies that are not remedies to our spiritual ailment. None of them will work. They might make us feel better for a little while. They might soothe us for a little while, but we must get to the root of America's problems. And the root of America's problems may very well be a church, Christians, who without realizing it, are trying to get other people to follow a Jesus that we might not be following ourselves. And if that is the case, the Bible has a word for that, it's called hypocrite. If that is the case where we are part of the problem and God has become a bigger problem, then we need to deal with the problem, become the solution, and then also that will open the door for God himself to be the solution. Look with me at Second Chronicles 7, beginning in verse 13. When I shut up the heavens, God is speaking, causing the problem, so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. All of these things would affect the economic conditions of the nation of Israel. One of the things that God does that he allows to happen in your life and in mine when he's trying to get our attention is he allows us to be hit in our pocketbook or in our wallet because oftentimes that gets our attention. And it's the same thing when it comes to a nation. 
One of the things that God can do in a multiplicity of ways is shut up the rain, cause drought. Send a locust, send an overt attacker onto the land to eat the crops or send overt disease among the people. And each of these things as examples, not exhaustive, but as examples, if you want exhaustive, read the Bible. God has a multiplicity of means at his disposal where he can dig deep and pull out anything he wants for the purpose of getting the attention of his people when his people have gone astray. And the implication in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13, is that God has now become the bigger problem because God's people were the little problem. They had gone astray. They had gone wayward. They had strayed from love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and all your soul. They had gone astray from Leviticus 18, loving their neighbor as themselves. And so God intervenes, becomes the greater problem as a result of the nation of Israel being a problem by going wayward. And the implication is that God's people should be paying attention. These should be classic cardinal indicators that the problem is not a merely natural problem, but a supernatural problem that requires a supernatural solution. And here in verse 14 is how the solution comes about. If my people, notice the audience, who are called by my name, notice the audience, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know, one of the dangers of the National Week of Repentance is that we could begin to seek God for what's in his hand instead of seeking the hand of God. We recognize that our nation is broken. Our nation needs healing. God is providing for us here to the nation of Israel some indication about how he operates, what he looks for. And when God's people do what he says they must do, God delivers what he promises. This is the grace of Almighty God, that he tells us ahead of time what to expect from him, not because he's obligated to do anything, because God could require us to do the right thing and then do nothing as a result, as a response to that. But in the mercy and the goodness and the grace of God, he tells us ahead of time, here's what I'm like, here's what you can expect, I'm not going to dangle carrots in front of you. And what is God looking for? He's looking for what we have not yet tried in the body of Christ in the United States of America, which may be, maybe by the grace of Almighty God, it's beginning to happen. Maybe with all 50 states and Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico and people and other nations now praying for us specifically with all of us going through particular scriptures and particular reflective questions through the action guide. Maybe it's an opportunity for us as a nation, for us as Christians within the nation. It's an opportunity for a movement of humility to fall upon the United States of America. It is not possible to repent without being humble. 
Humility and repentance go hand in glove. They go together. And this is the call of Almighty Jesus. When he shows up on the scene in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And oh, how I wish it was translated to give us more of a flavor, the nuance, the clarity in the original Greek language. The original Greek would be translated this way. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is Mark chapter 1, Jesus' opening salvo. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and keep repenting. Believe and keep believing in the gospel. Jesus hadn't even gone to the cross yet. The resurrection was in the future. Believe in the gospel. Keep believing in the gospel. Repent and keep repenting. It's no different than what Jesus said when he said, unless you take up your cross and follow me daily, you cannot be my disciple. It is not possible to be a disciple of Jesus Christ without humility and a lifestyle of repentance being what we embrace as the new walk and way of life. Now, how is that any different from what God is saying in 2 Chronicles 7, 13, and 14? If, 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 if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, we've got to stop looking for and asking the world to live for Jesus the way we should be living. The world should be looking at us and saying, I want who you have. I want who you have, his name is Jesus. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Do you know national healing could fall on the shoulders of people who might not want anything to do with God because not everybody in the nation of Israel was really of Israel. Not everybody who lived there in that geographic location was really on fire for God, but you can be, and I can be. It's time for a real movement of the Spirit of God, a real revival, real revival, real spiritual awakening in the United States of America. We're long overdue for that kind of a movement of God. We're long overdue for a real movement of the Spirit of God. And you know what? If it's going to happen, it needs to happen with you. It needs to happen with me at a grassroots level where Jesus Christ becomes the love of our lives, where we begin to change our lifestyles accordingly. If my people, it is an if-then statement. There absolutely are circumstances and situations where God refuses to do he refuses to do anything until and unless his people do what he says they must do. When God's people become the problem and God inserts himself as the bigger problem, God's people must become the solution so that their God becomes the ultimate solution. It's really no more complex than that. I love what Martin Luther said, the reformer, and I think that it's time in a very real way, for there to be another reformation throughout the world, a second reformation, where we stop confusing church growth with discipleship, 
where we return to the idea of Jesus Christ being our celebrity, not the pastor, not a personality other than Jesus. I love what Martin Luther said. He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to one of repentance. That was the first of Luther's 95 theses. It was the very first one. And so what we might have in the United States of America and in many parts of the world is a Christianity where humility has been removed. And if you remove humility from Christianity, there is no repentance. There is no taking up of the cross daily. This is not about self-flagellation. This is not at all about self-flagellation. It is about rediscovering, and for many of us, discovering for the very first time that humility and repentance go hand in glove if you're going to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Jesus will take us places we've never been before, and the awakening that we need in the United States of America is not about going back to the way the nation used to be, but going forward to be the nation that we never were, that we never really were in the first place. And if that's going to happen in the United States of America, it needs to begin with you. It needs to begin with me. It needs to be the church. The world should be coming to us, brothers and sisters. The world should be coming to us and saying, these people are different. You might say, I've got something in my past. We've all got junk in the trunk. We've all got stuff in our past. You might say, well, I've got something in my present. Well, the cross of Christ is big enough to take care of your past my past and your present, so that the future is bright. There's never been a greater day than today to get right with God, to let him straighten out what's crooked. What more does God have to do? What more does God have to do in a nation that has been so blessed, so prosperous? The United States of America has sent out more missionaries into all of the world than any other nation on the face of this earth. It's time for us to begin to recognize that our nation is broken. America needs a bath, and we all need to take it. We all need to take it. I can guarantee you that if you are willing to be honest with God and let him speak to you through the action guide that you're going to be using with thousands of other people around the nation and around other parts of the world this week. I can guarantee you that God is going to speak to you about an area or areas of your life that have gone astray, that have become crooked, that only the power of God, only the person of Jesus Christ can make straight. If not now, then when? If not you, and if not me, then who? Our nation is up against a wall. There is no political solution. I don't care who is appointed and confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States, even though that's important. We cannot fix a spiritual problem with a political solution. It is not possible, and that's one of the things we need to repent of. What did God's people do in the scriptures when they recognized that the hand of God was against them because he was speaking to them through the withdrawal of his blessing? 
Well, in Joel chapter 2, we have one such example where a man was prompted by the Spirit of God to look candidly at the situation of his nation. And God spoke to that one man. And God, in speaking through that one man, spoke to a nation. God, through one man, spoke to a nation. And I know that even though we're quite a long time away from Joel and when he spoke, I do believe that God, through his word, is speaking again to an entire nation and revealing to an entire nation through one man what needs to happen in the body of Christ, in your life and in mine, not just so that we can experience God's healing, but so that we can walk with God and talk with God and have the relationship, the abiding day-by-day relationship with God here and now before the not yet of eternity when we're in his presence. In Joel chapter 2, look at what the prophet said. Look at what the prophet says. Again, even though this is applicable first and foremost to the, the people of God in the Old Testament, there is something timeless, unchanging, and applicable and appropriate for you and for me as Christ followers as we find ourselves with our backs up against the wall in the United States of America in a perfect storm of moral decline, racial division, financial turmoil, theological gobbledygook. The only reason why politicians have gotten involved in theology is because we theologians and pastors and church leaders have refused to speak the word of God to the situation of the day. And that's one of the things we need to repent of. And in those rare instances where we have spoken to the theological issues of the day, I'm not so sure we've done it with the humility of Jesus. And people say, well, Jesus overturned tables. Well, Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. I'm not Jesus, and neither are you. We can't do that because but by the grace of God goes each and every one of us. When we speak theological truth to a nation that's gone astray, we must do it with fear and trepidation. Know that except for the grace of God, we could go that same way. Many of us have gone that same way. It's time to return. It's time to return to the Lord. It's time for the body of Christ in the United States of America to go into new territory where we've never been as a church because Jesus is coming back and he's coming back for a bride that is spotless, without wrinkle, without blemish. He wants you and he wants me to be ready. This is what the whole story of the, the parable of the 10 virgins is about, where some had enough oil and they were ready for the return of Jesus and some didn't have enough oil. And when those who didn't have enough oil recognized that the bridegroom had come and they went to those who had the oil and asked for some, it was too late. There's coming a day when it will be too late for you to ask God to get your life together. Now is the time for you and for me to ask God in humility, God, get my life together. You might have tried it. You might have tried very hard. You might have struggled very hard to get your own life together. It's time to give up 
to surrender in humility. That's what repentance is. That's what it means to repent before Almighty God. It's not by power or by might, but by the Spirit of God for you who have given your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus is coming back in his timing, ready or not, here he comes. The admonition of Jesus is that we be ready. Jesus said very clearly, pray that you might be able to stand before the Son of Man. The implication is that near the end, before Jesus' return, it will become increasingly difficult to speak the truth in love. It will become increasingly difficult to walk with Jesus as the world walks away from him. And I'm not so sure that that also applies within the church. See, in the nation of Israel, there were many who lived among the nation of Israel, lived within the nation of Israel, but were really not interested in Yahweh, the living and true God. They lived there in that geographic location, but not all of Israel was Israel. The Bible makes it very clear that the Lord knows those who are his. Today's the day for you to settle that issue. If you're not sure that all of your sins are forgiven, not just for the eternal payoff that comes when one day you're united with Jesus Christ, but for the here and now, that you could begin to be salt and light, that you could begin to be a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered believer who speaks the truth in love in a day and an age where lies abound and where hatred is off the charts. We need a spiritual revolution in the body of Christ, and it needs to begin at a grassroots level in your life. We need to stop waiting for somebody else to follow the Jesus who has called us and said, come and follow me. Do you hear his voice? Jesus has called you by name and said, come and follow me. He did not tell you to follow him once other people begin to follow. Jesus did not say, follow me when there is a critical mass, a certain number of people. God has called you. God has called me to take up your cross, your cross, not the cross of your neighbor. Take up your cross, die to yourself today and follow Jesus. Jesus is the one who said, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks over their shoulder to see who's following me is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It is time for us in the body of Christ to stop waiting and watching for other people to follow the Jesus who's called each of us individually by personal invitation to follow him. Are you ready to follow him? Are we ready to go with Jesus though no one else follows? Are we ready to be the change in this nation of ours that God asks us to be, that God says is synonymous with following Jesus, even if it means the nation doesn't change? Let God be true and every man a liar. We are not seeking and following God and responding to his call simply because we want God to change our condition. 
We are seeking and following God and repenting and humbling ourselves because that's what it means to follow Jesus. And because Jesus is worthy, even if Jesus does nothing in my life except forgive me of my sins. And for those of us who have been unintentionally using the rapture or the return of Jesus as an escape clause for irresponsibility in the midst of the day and the hour in which we're living, shame on us! You don't know the day and the hour. If Jesus didn't know it, how audacious of us to think that we know it. This que sera, sera, what will be, will be attitude, is that the attitude of somebody who loves the lost? Is that the attitude of somebody who understands Jesus' teaching of being salt and light, or have we lost our saltiness? We are to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You are to be the light of the world, you in your household whether nobody else follows Jesus or not. The world needs to see the light of the world through your life, even if nobody else follows. And here's what needs to happen in the United States of America that we have not tried yet, and I'm not talking about doing it just for a week and then expecting, rubbing our hands and saying, now we're gonna see God move. We need to embrace this kind of a lifestyle from this point forward with God being the one that we love with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, all of our soul. And that needs to be manifest or evidenced by how we love our neighbor. Joel chapter two, verse 12, yet even now declares the Lord, the personal covenant name of God. Return to me with all your heart. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Jesus rebuked the leaders of his day, the people who were supposed to be spiritual. He said, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. That's New Testament stuff. Not much has changed in the character and the nature of God and what he's looking for. With fasting and weeping and mourning and rend your hearts and not your garments until our sin hits us on the inside. Until we take ownership of our sin on the inside, very little will change on the outside. The scriptures say that in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Do you want to be one of those people who's characterized that way? God's work, whenever he does a deep work, is from the inside out, and God wants to do that in your life. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. This is not just any God. This is the covenant name of God that's used. Yahweh, return to this God. The God of Judaism, the God of Christianity. There is only one God. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. He relents over that. He doesn't enjoy inflicting difficulty on his people, but sometimes, sometimes, read the Bible. God 
will become the problem for his people when his people have become the problem. For the purpose of getting the attention of his people whose hearts have strayed from him. In your marriage, are you red hot for Jesus in your marriage? Do you husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church? Wives, do you follow, submit to, love your husband as the church is to follow Jesus? If you were the only opportunity for somebody else to see a Christian marriage, could people look at your marriage and say, I want what you have. I want that kind of relationship. If you were the only opportunity for people to see the testimony of Jesus Christ at your place of work, would someone be interested in accepting that Jesus based on your lifestyle? There are many of us in the United States of America who have been born again, saved, washed by the blood of Jesus. We have quite enough people to change this entire nation if only we would humble ourselves before the Lord and repent. What if God already has given us the critical mass and we're fooling ourselves by thinking we're not there yet? We've seen over these past two years what an underwhelming minority of people can do to force the overwhelming majority of people to do what they want to do. But we're not interested in coercion. What we need is a real movement of the Spirit of God where God is moving and we as people are moving with him. Return to the Lord your God for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? See, that should be the question that we're asking. Who knows? If we haven't sought the Lord and cried out to him and humbled ourselves on a massive scale around this nation the way we really need to with our backs up against the wall the way it is, then who are you to say that there's no future for America or it's glib and it's dim and that our best days are behind us? What if there was a real spiritual awakening in the United States of America that we have never seen before? And what if you were in on the ground level? What if you were right there and God passed you the ball and you were running it down the field for no other reason than you said, God, if it's going to be, it's up to me. I humble myself before you. I'm taking up my cross every day and I'm repenting and I'm taking Jesus' words in Mark 1, 15 seriously. Repent and keep repenting, believe and keep believing. That's what a Christ follower does. That's what it looks like to really be following Jesus. Talk is cheap. Followership is priceless and irresistible. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Here's what needs to happen. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children. Even nursing infants. In other words, the situation is so grave, so serious, so significant that all of God's people are to participate there is no logistic issue that is more important than the issue of God's people seeking their Savior and their Master and their God. Everybody is to be invited because God has invited everybody. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride 
her chamber. Would you like your wedding day to be interrupted? It's exactly what this is talking about. No bride in their right mind would let somebody come in and ruin their wedding day. The imagery that God is providing through the prophet Joel is one of urgency, one of dire situation where God's people need God to show up in a mighty way, where God's people are getting serious about their own waywardness, serious about their own need, and God says, I'll show up. I will show up. It's time for you and for me as God's people to say, God, right now in my life, in my family, in my church, in my nation, forgive me for placing my hope and my expectations in somebody other than Jesus, who is still the hope of the world and the Savior of the world. Who knows? Who knows what God might do in the United States of America if we, God's people, will take him at his word and understand that humility and repentance go hand in glove and are still irresistibly attractive to Almighty God whenever, whenever he wants to really move. It's time in your life and in mine. It's time we stop waiting for everybody else to get on the train. It's time that we stop waiting for change to come through somebody else. It's time for you to ask God to bring the change that only he can bring in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus would be exalted. And you know what? As you do that, and as you do that, and 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 I do that across this nation, and we don't relent, whether it's for a week or beyond, and as we seek God for the right reasons, not because of what's in his hand, but for his hand itself, who knows what God might do in this nation? I do know that we haven't tried that yet. We haven't tried it yet. And it's time that we return to the Lord and do what he says must be done when God's people find themselves with their backs against the wall. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.